You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. I'm really, really excited about this. I believe as we look at God's Word, we see a pattern for every part of our life, and we need it. We need to acknowledge God's Word as a pattern in our lives so we can begin to experience the things that God desires for us to experience. And so as we look at this, my prayer for every person here is that our hearts and our minds would be made alive um, to the power of God's Word, to be transformational, to be life-giving, to be powerful, to bless every area of your life. And we're starting today with what I believe is a foundational step, which is the pattern for our freedom, the pattern for our freedom. And why this is a foundational step is because... When we, if we do not understand the pattern for our freedom or understand the freedom that God has given us in Jesus Christ, what happens is that nothing else seems to really make sense. We will come to the things in God's Word and we might doubt them. We, not, we might believe that they're not fully for us. And the only way that we begin to appropriate God's Word the way it's been created to be in our hearts and our lives is when we walk in the fullness of freedom that Jesus Christ brings. Let me just say this practically, in in a practical way that we can all understand, that listen, if you are setting out to lose weight this year and to get physically fit, but you do not believe the truth about what God says about you on the inside, listen, this is going to save you a lot of time and a lot of money. It's going to save you money on those infomercials, those pills, your gym memberships. I'm about to save you a ton of money. Do not start any kind of fitness plan, weight loss plan, if you do not understand the beauty that God has put inside of you first. Why? Because you simply can't change anything outward that is not changed inward. You can't do it. But if you'll understand the truth of what God says about you on the inward, it will be much easier to put the discipline in your life to begin to change the things outwardly that you want to see changed. And it's the same way with any area of our life. We can come to the Word of God and understand that He sets us free in all things. But if we don't understand how He breaks addiction in our life, we're never going to walk in that freedom that the Word of God says. So we have to understand God's pattern of freedom first. Before I get into this, let me just uh, say a couple things about patterns, why we need patterns in our life. Because a pattern, the pattern that God gives, allows us to understand His pattern for how we are to live in righteousness. And all this is, is an understanding of how we know the pleasure of God. What is pleasing to Him as we walk out our lives. How we please Him in our walk. And this is important because when we begin to walk in the pleasure of God, we begin to understand the joy that His plans bring. All of us desire that. If you call yourself a son or a daughter of God... You desire that. You want to know what is pleasing to the Lord. You want to begin to walk in the fullness of the revelation of righteousness that brings joy. And God desires that we continually walk in these things. So he gives us a pattern for every area of our life. Here's what patterns are. These are the designs according to God's word that the Holy Spirit empowers in us on how to live our life, how to walk our walk before God. But let me say something to you before we get into this, is that a pattern is not a righteousness. 
Our righteousness comes from understanding the grace of Jesus Christ. Here's what I mean very simply, is that we can't just take these things and begin to do these things apart from the revelation of grace that these things carry. See, in every design that God gave us, in every pattern that God gave us, He gave it to us so that we would begin to walk in the fullness of life that first stems from our spirit and then has an outward effect on the way that we live our life. And so when we take a pattern that God gives us and we lay it down in our life as a to-do list, as a one, two, three step, before we understand the grace that is given to us through the word of God, what happens is that we just become legalistic, don't we? We just begin to walk out steps thinking that they should have an immediate effect without allowing the Holy Spirit to transform our lives to these things. So I want to encourage you right off the bat, before we even dive into this series fully, to begin to yield to the Holy Spirit. As you hear the Word of God, begin to say, Holy Spirit, will you begin to make these things life to me? Will you help me to understand the goodness of God through the Word of God as I hear it so that it will begin to transform my spirit, it will begin to renew my mind and change the way that I walk. And I'll promise you that if you do that, if you make that decision right now before we get started, that the Holy Spirit will begin to speak to you and there will be some transformational things that will take place as you hear the Word of God. So let's go ahead and get started. And we're going to talk about three simple things this morning. We're going to talk about God's original plan for freedom. God's original plan for freedom. We're going to also talk about a few of the enemies of our freedom. Because we need to understand some of the things that maybe roadblock us in our pursuit of freedom. And then we're going to talk about the steps we can gain, that we can take to gain freedom and to live in freedom. All right. So when we talk about God's original plan for freedom, we're going to look at two narratives. We're going to look at a narrative in Genesis chapter 3 and then John chapter 8. And I believe this is going to be life-giving for every one of you. Because in Genesis 3, what we see is the first time that sin, the thing that came to destroy our freedom, entered into man's plan. And one of the most most beautiful things that when when we read the Bible at the very beginning and why we all need to be reading the Bible and be in the Word is because when we look at God's original plan through the book of Genesis, what we see is that God never designed man to be bound to anything except for his love. God never designed man to be anything but free. You are actually created at your very best to be a person who is living in freedom. And in Genesis 3, it's a familiar story, but here's what we see. Adam and Eve were given one command. You can eat of anything in the garden except for the the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? That's pretty simple. But here's the thing is that we understand that the thing sometimes that we can't have is the thing that we tend to focus on more and more and more. See, Adam and Eve didn't understand that they were carte blanche, open to everything in the garden, the abundance of the garden. And when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you see the magnificence of everything that God created that he actually gave Adam and Eve authority over to enjoy. But yet, when the serpent came to Eve, what we see is this, is that this began the pattern of understanding how sin takes hold in our life. And it came through deception first. 
And the first deception of sin is this, is that it's really not that bad. What did the serpent say to Eve? said this, listen, is it really that bad that you eat from this? Why doesn't he want you to eat from this tree? And this is often the way that the enemy of our freedom begins to work concerning sin, is that the deception of sin comes up in the false reality that it's not that bad. But immediately after Eve took and ate of it, what took place? is that she gave it to Adam. Oh, listen, we're not going to go there, men, women. We're not going to put on any blame, right? This isn't a blame game because you're going to see in just a second that God, God wasn't blaming Eve, all right? But here's the thing is immediately Adam and Eve realized that the effects of their disobedience, it was shame. It was shame. See, they understood themselves in a different way. They realized that they were naked, and in their nakedness they were vulnerable. In their nakedness they were shameful, How come that's a problem? Because Adam and Eve were naked before God and they weren't shameful. It wasn't until sin entered in, the enemy of their freedom entered in, that they saw themselves differently. And this is what sin does, doesn't it? It causes us to see ourselves out of the place of what God says about us. And so shame entered in. And what happened right after shame? See, God had a conversation with Adam, and here's what Adam did, and it's something that kind of we follow the pattern of, is that Adam looked at, looked at God and said, God, it's not my fault. The woman made me do it. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So you know what's amazing about this and why this wasn't a blame game or Eve's fault is because God wasn't asking Adam how did this come to be. God wasn't saying who started the mess. God looked at Adam and said, I know you. I walk with you. I walk with you in the garden and we have a full relationship and the abundance of relationship. But what has changed, Adam? It was your decision. But what Adam did is something that we often do when it comes to the things that attack our freedom is we begin to blame them on other things, don't we? Oh, listen, don't get mad right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us. See, the immediate effect of sin is this, shame and then blame. Blame. Adam said it's the woman's fault. God said, not so, Adam. You had a decision to make. And see, God in his loving kindness did something, and this is the original plan of freedom that we see here. And this is how God's design for freedom in spite of man's sin happened. And how God destroyed the revelation of sin in Adam and Eve's life. And I want you to see this because sometimes when we read the scripture, we see what happens next is God being harsh. Is that God isolates them off of the garden. He cuts and he puts a barrier around the the tree of of life. Can I tell you what God did here? is God enacted the first step of grace that brought freedom to man, is God did not want man to live in the continual reminder of their sin. Hear that. So God barred them from living in eternity with the revelation of their disobedience. And he sent them away. How do we know that? Because if you go on and read Genesis 4, 5, 6, you see man walking righteously before God. Why? Because they understood that the grace of God was first manifest concerning their freedom when God said, I'm going to cut you off from the revelation of your sin so that you will not eternally abide in that place. God gave grace. This is the original design for our freedom. Grace is the original design for our freedom. If we fast forward to the Gospel of John and we begin to see in John 8... Another narrative, and this is another familiar narrative that 
was an encounter with Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. And this is a beautiful story because the Pharisees were getting irritated by what Jesus was preaching and the life and the grace that was coming out of Jesus. And so they brought, they found, they caught, they set up, however you want to see it, a woman who was caught in adultery, and they brought her before Jesus, and they asked her this question. They said, Jesus, according to the Mosaic law, this woman should be stoned. What do you say? And of course, we know the story. Most of us know the story. Jesus bent down, and he began to write in the ground with his finger. We don't know what Jesus was doing. All we know is the outcome of what Jesus did. Here's what happened in John 8, 34 through 36. Jesus replied, Verily I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. Now listen to this, please, because this is God's continued original plan for bringing freedom. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Here's what Jesus was saying, that the revelation of grace that God gave the day, the first day that man sinned was still in existence for you and I today, and it comes through the Son, Jesus Christ, that if we would come to the Son in the fullness of grace, that we could be not just free, but we could be truly free. You see, what happened was this, is that Jesus broke the rigidness of the law through that one act and said, I understand what Moses said, but I want you to know what my father says and my father's original design, that anybody who falls upon grace will receive forgiveness and freedom. See, Jesus is life. That life is grace, and that grace is freedom. We see God's original design here, and that's good news for every one of us. And I want to tell you right off the bat, if you don't catch anything from this message this morning, please capture this. No matter where you find yourself, entangled in sin or entangled in a stronghold or some kind of addiction, something that holds you captive, the only answer, the only solution that you have is Jesus Christ. He is the grace that will set you free. He is the grace that will bring you life and make you truly, truly free. Jesus was God's plan A. He was our, God's plan A for our freedom. And he will always be that plan. Let's look very quickly here at some of the enemies of our freedom. The first thing that is an enemy of our freedom is staying in the place of temptation too long. Staying in the place of temptation too long. I believe it started here with Eve. I believe it happens to every one of us. We stay in the place of temptation too long. When we entertain those things of disobedience that we know are not pleasing to God. James 1, 13-15 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And I tell you what James 1, 13 and 15 is saying. It's saying this. One of the greatest enemies to our freedom is when we indulge and listen to temptation too long. See, temptation is inevitable. Temptation is all around us. But what we choose to do with temptation makes all the difference. 
When we choose to stay in a place of temptation and we choose to listen to the voice of temptation, it begins to work against us. It begins to play out in our mind. We begin to entice some of the thoughts attached to the pleasure of what we think that we could be doing. The scripture tells us that that thought life begins to conceive something. It gives birth to sin and sin eventually gives birth to death. This is what happens when we meditate on sin. When we meditate on sin, don't worry, we're not going to stay here. This isn't a, a, a gloomy message. This is a life-giving message. But some of us need to understand this very important truth that some of the enemies of our freedom happen when we begin to meditate on the wrong things for too long. Now, I understand this. Some of us immediately isolate and say, well, that's not me. I'm not meditating on lust. I'm not meditating on, on going out and, and doing something uh, criminal. I'm not meditating on these things, but can I ask you a question? What about unforgiveness? What happens when we meditate on unforgiveness? The wrong that's happened to us, that somebody has done to us, that we begin to do this. What happens when we begin to meditate on the things that God hasn't done for us? When we begin to meditate on these things, the more quiet things, the things that kind of sneak up on us, and they begin to occupy our thought life, Let me make it even a little bit more down to earth for us. What happens when we begin to meditate on the things that we don't have while we scroll through Facebook? The vacations that we're not going on. The things that we don't have in our house. The fun that we're not having. Listen, here's what I'm saying is that a lot of times the unchecked parts of our thought life can lead us into a place that can begin to be an enemy of our freedom. And this is what James 1 is talking about. And that might seem trite to some of us, but it becomes very serious the more we leave it unchecked. And God's great desire for every one of us is not to leave us in a place where we're bound, not to leave us in a place where we're discontent, not to leave us in a place where we're doubting, where we're not walking in forgiveness in the life that forgiveness brings. But God's desire is to bring us out of that place, to bring us into a place of life and into a place of freedom. And in order to do that, we need to understand how some of these things work, some of these subtle things. Why do you think the Scripture says to us, pray without ceasing? Let praise always be on your lips. Greet one another with songs and spiritual songs and hymns. Why? Because when you're doing those things, you're not thinking about the things in your life that could lead you to other places that the Spirit of God is not leading you in. And there's a reason why we begin to take inventory of our thought life. And as believers, as we desire to grow into the likeness of Christ, that we seek to take inventory of our thought life. And we say, God, what is it in my thought life that's not pleasing to you? What in my thought life could eventually bring me into captivity of something other than your spirit? I don't want to be that person that's being led astray. You know what's amazing about the book of James? It's actually something that scholars actually debate over, and it almost didn't even make the canon of the New Testament. Because James confronts us with the hard reality of our decisions. It puts into perspective the the, the difference between faith and our actions and where they kind of intersect. And the beautiful thing about James is this, is that James allows us through the Holy Spirit, to allow faith to actually take root in our actions. And part of that as believers means that we need to take an inventory by the Holy Spirit of the things that we're thinking about, lest we get trapped by those things. 
This is just a very simple, good reminder. But we understand that the first enemy of our freedom is staying in a place of temptation too long, recognizing it. We're going to talk about how we overcome that in just a second. The second place that's an enemy of our freedom are strongholds. Strongholds. Some of you may have come from a church that you haven't heard a lot about strongholds, but just let me define these and give you a scriptural reference for them here. Strongholds are patterns of sin that have taken up a fortress in our thinking And they guide our identity, our decisions, and our outlook. Literally, in this scripture I'm about to read you, the word strongholds means a a barricade, a fortress that has been set up. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, it says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that that we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Here's a couple of things I need to tell you about strongholds before we go into them. Is that a stronghold cannot take up residence in your spirit. Let's debunk an age-old myth of can a Christian, a born-again Christian, possess a demon? Have a, be a possessed by a demon? The answer is simply no. Jesus actually answered that for us when he was being confronted by the Pharisees. And they were accusing him of being Beelzebub. And Jesus said, how can I be be Beelzebub, that's a tongue twister, and confess the life of God? A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. You can't have two things. And so I want to give a little bit of peace to you because some of you may have come up under bad theology that told you that maybe this is out of your control and this thing that you've been struggling with for you don't know how long that you keep, keep getting barricaded with is something that is, being, is coming against you. See, here's the reality. A stronghold exists within our thinking. It exists between, not in this place of our spirit, but what we call the soul, our thinking, our thought life. And it began to take up residency there. See, and again, we understand this. Some of us here understand this, but here's the reality is that God came and he redeemed your spirit. You were born again, made and created in the image of Jesus Christ. Your spirit is renewed, but your mind must be renewed also to the truth of what your spirit is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying in your spirit. And so a stronghold begins to set up residency there, and it begins to affect the way we see ourselves. begins to affect our identity. It begins to define what we think about who we are, our decisions, our choices that we make, we feel like we are guided more by these strongholds than what the Spirit of God is saying inside of us. And then our future outlook, the things, how we see our future. And these things, these strongholds can be addictions. How do you know if that you're struggling with an addiction? I believe there's a very simple answer. Can you put it down and walk away from it? No matter what it is. How, can, how do you know that you're being guided by something in your life that has more control over you than the Holy Spirit? Can you put it down and walk away from it? Do you need it as a source of your happiness? Is it the thing you wake up in the morning and you look forward to and say, if I could just do this, if I could just have this, then I'll be okay. I just need to have this. I'm not going to get legalistic about this, but this is one of the reasons why we fast. And why God asks us to fast occasionally. 
is so that we can separate ourselves from the things in our life that we think that we need to be dependent upon. But the reality is this, that addictions in our life are things that we just cannot put down. They become things that we trust for our source of peace, happiness, and joy. You don't feel truly fulfilled unless you have this thing in your life. But these are also things that ultimately destroy our lives. Now, I'm going to be very gentle as I say these things, but the church must address these things. The Word of God addresses these things. The church must also. Things like pornography. Pornography has a stranglehold in our society today. It is a quiet addiction that a lot of people do not know about in our lives. But things like pornography are not harmless things. They are destructive patterns that not just, they don't just destroy relationships and marriages, but they skew God's design for healthy sexuality. And believe it or not, get ready for it, that in this series we're actually going to talk about God's pattern for sex. Some of you might disappear that Sunday. It's okay. Please don't. Drug use. When we become addicted to something, something that affects our psyche, something that jacks our endorphins endorphins up. Please hear me on this. Listen, I declare grace in the name of Jesus over every person here. Because there is no shame. Jesus Christ, and he broke shame and he broke blame. And he came to bring life. And if you find yourself in any of these categories, Jesus is still the answer. He is still here. He is still life. He is still powerful. Opiate addiction is huge. It's powerful. It's big. What about things like codependency? When we become, we become dependent upon somebody else, we become addicted to someone. Instead of letting the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, be our source. Addictions, is, addictions are one area of strongholds. Please stay with me because it's going to get better, okay? You guys are like, oh man, woo, heavy burden. Don't, don't let it be. When Jesus talks about freedom, listen, just pause for a second. When Jesus talks about freedom, one of the things that has to happen in his goodness and his mercy and why he created the body and why the body, when it's the healthiest, exists to be an ultimate place where the freedom of Jesus reigns and rules is because things can be brought to the light. And they don't need to be brought to the light in front of everybody. Listen, they don't need to be brought in front of the light. I'm not asking anybody to stand up and say, that's me, I'm dealing with that. But here's what I'm saying, is that you can bring it into the light of Jesus Christ safely in this place and find freedom. But until something is brought into the light, it doesn't get dealt with. But that is the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. Another area of strongholds are habitual sins and cycles. Uncontrolled responses. Responses that are not under the authority of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Fear. Fear. We're bound to fear. Our natural reaction is fear. You're filled constantly with anxiety because you feel like the other shoe is going to drop. Anger. Anger. I'm going to be very blunt. This is something that in my life I think that I've had to check under the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you react? Do you react in anger? 
Do you react angrily? Do you react as your response? Is it a knee-jerk response where anger comes in and you begin to respond in anger, rage, depression? Depression. See, the reason why we talk about these things is because the Word of God talks about these things and Jesus Christ wants us to be free. Self-loathing. Self-loathing. These are all things that become cycles within our life that become things that we respond to that just become our uncontrolled responses whenever situations hit us. These are things that are attached in the seat of our mind on how we are to respond to things in our life, how we naturally respond. It's our reaction. The best way to tell that you have that is go drive in traffic. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm just joking. Be like, oh. Let me talk about one more thing, okay? Generational curses. And again, many of you might not have grown up in a church or come from a church that talks about these things, but these are actually things that the Scripture talks about. But these are behavioral patterns that have been passed down from one generation to another that override the authority of the Holy Spirit. These are things, actually, if I can put it very simply like this, that are learned patterns, patterns that are passed down. Alcoholism, abusiveness, infidelity, divorce, poverty. These are all things that become generational curses. Don't, don't, don't get worried here, okay? Because generational curses are not thrust upon us, and they are not greater than the blood of Jesus. They are not greater than the blood of Jesus, We have to agree with the generational curse. It's the Hank Williams song. Why do I drink? Why do I smoke? It's a family tradition, right? Anybody know that song? Why do you drink, right? It's a family tradition, a.k.a. it's a generational curse. Listen to this. Um, My father was an alcoholic. I've told this story in this church before, but I know there's some of you here that haven't heard it. And my granddad was as well. And it was passed down. And when my dad, my dad served in the army, he went to Vietnam, and he came home from Vietnam a, uh, with what we call today as PTSD. And he was a raging alcoholic. My mom had got born again in a Methodist church, and she got spirit-filled. It was what, during a, a time in, in church history called the charismatic renewal, all the Jesus freaks were starting to get saved. My mom became a Jesus freak, a very mom-looking Jesus freak. And my dad came home. He would wake up in the middle of the night, and he would have some kind of flash, and he would put his hand through the wall in rage and anger and pain. And he would drink, 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 and it was passed down. It was his dad's way of dealing with things. It became his way of dealing with things. My mom said, Honey, I want you to come to church. I don't know how that conversation went down. I'm going to tell you the outcome of it. I don't know if she threatened him, put a ring on the countertop, and said, you don't. I don't know how it happened. I'm just glad it happened. My dad comes to this little Methodist church. The minister ministers in the power of the Holy Spirit and said, if anybody here needs to come to Jesus, come on. My dad came up, and in one night, he got saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, and set free from alcoholism. Why do I tell you this? Well, because I'm just giving you just a personal illustration of how generational curses do not have the authority to trump the blood and the power of Jesus Christ. They don't. They just don't. 
Some of you say, man, my family is so jacked up. It's unbelievable. I don't believe. Listen, I'm, 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 I'm normal for my family, and I'm a mess. If you've come to Jesus Christ, there's a greater freedom. You don't have to be bound to dad or granddad or uncle or aunt or the things. And let me also say something to you here. And this is just very sensitive, but it has to be said. It has to be said. Some of you, grace in the name of Jesus. <coughs> Some of you come from abusive situations in your family where it's been passed down from one generation to the next. But in the name of Jesus. In the name that is above every name. That pattern can break in the authority of Jesus' name. It is not who you are. It is not what defines you. It is not what you are bound under. It is not what you are called to. It is not who you are as a son or daughter of God. You are called to a greater grace. The plan, that God's plan has always been the same, to bring us into a greater place of freedom. If I can have you come up, Justin, please. Thank you for letting me go through this. Thank you for having honoring the Holy Spirit to hear because now I want to tell you steps we can take to have the pattern of freedom in our lives. God doesn't want you to be heavy. He doesn't want you to be bound. He doesn't want you to be captured under something that you have not been called to that doesn't define you. First thing that we have to do is that we have to have humility and repentance. Repentance is necessary. Repentance is necessary. Some of you say, listen, concerning generational curses, if I'm, if I'm faced under this and this is binding me, then why do I need to repent? If I didn't do it, if it came down, if it's something that happened to me, why do I need to repent? Because very simply this, you're breaking agreement with a lie. You're breaking agreement with a lie. And you must break agreement. When we look at the book, the God, the book of Acts and we see what happened after Pentecost, Peter's message and the apostles' message is always included this. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. Believe and repent. And repentance is not a dirty word. It's not a word bound to sinners. It's a word that actually ties into our freedom. In Acts 3.19, Peter says, Repent then, turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out and the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. When we humble ourselves under the authority of the grace of Jesus Christ and we find ourselves short and we repent and say, Jesus, I am sorry. I am sorry that I have agreed with something that's not true of what you've called me to be. I am not the sin that may entangle me right now. I'm not the stronghold. I'm not any kind of generational curse. Those are not things that have defined me. I repent of those things. What you're doing is you're opening up the door that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. That times of forgiveness, that times of life, that times of joy, that times of freedom can come in and begin to fill your heart and begin to fill your mind. First John 1, 9, we probably all know this here, but it says this, it's as simple as this. If we confess our sins, that's just simply repentance. He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The purpose of God's heart is this, is that we aren't living under an alternate plan for who we are. But we are living under the full revelation that we are the righteousness of God. 
in every area of our life and first and foremost in our freedom. Number two, we must have reliance upon the Holy Spirit's power. I want to read you a scripture and please write this down. Write this down. Put it in the memos of your phone. Go back and look at this. Read this many times. In 1 Corinthians 15, 45 and 49, it says this. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Jesus Christ, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was the dust of the earth, Adam. The second man is of heaven, Jesus Christ. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. Can I tell you very simply what this is saying? Is that in order to walk in freedom, we must rely upon the Holy Spirit's power to call us into the proper identity that we have been given under the heavenly man, Jesus Christ. See, there was a pattern that was given through Adam, through the earthly man, a pattern that bound us to sin. But grace and goodness came through Jesus Christ. And with the power of the Holy Spirit, we live under that revelation to which we have been called. We must rely upon the Holy Spirit for our freedom to continually bring us into the revelation of who we are renewed under Jesus Christ. I hope that makes sense to every one of you because it's who you are. If there's ever a clear mark of your identity that's been given in the Word of God, it is found right here. That you have not been marked according to a different pattern. You have not been marked according to the pattern of this world. So in any time the Scripture says that do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be renewed by the Spirit of your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, you have to understand that that is an act of the Holy Spirit bringing us into the revelation of the fullness of heaven. The reason why, listen, theological deep truth here is that Jesus came and walked fully in the image of man, was fully man and fully God, was to pattern for us what righteous living before God could be for us. It was not alone that he had to be a physical sacrifice. If all he had to be was a physical sacrifice, he would have been born and died. But what he did is he lived on this earth before man and before God in the fullness of God as a fullness of man so that we could understand the truth of the scripture that we just read. That when we tuck ourselves fully into Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, we begin to live to a renewed place where we see our identity the way that God created for it to be. That will change your life. The third thing is this is renew our minds to the truth of God's word. I started reading 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4 about strongholds, but let me read to you 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Write it down. Just write it down. I know you got a lot here, but write it down. Put it somewhere. It says, We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captivity every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do strongholds come down? How do strongholds come down? How do we renew our minds? Is that we begin to acknowledge those things that have exalted themselves against 
the knowledge of Jesus Christ in us into the image of who we've been created in. We begin to see those things and those cycles and those patterns as the Holy Spirit reveals them. And we say, no, not so. It's not who I am. I don't have any kind of attachment to that. Through the blood of Jesus, that is broken in my life. And I make that thing now through the Holy Spirit begin to yield to the truth of Jesus Christ in me. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about strongholds being broken, let me say this to you. Because some of you who have been in this position where you've dealt with something, you said, but pastor, listen, I've been to so many church services and so many people have laid hands on me and I've prayed so much. And why is it still here? And here's what I want to tell you is this, is that when we pray, the Holy Spirit is immediate and he is effective. Hear this. Every one of you here, hear this. Please. The Holy Spirit is immediate and is effective. The stronghold is broken. What must happen is that everything that sits in the seat of our mind must be brought into the revelation of what the Holy Spirit has done in our spirit. See, the only reason why you're struggling with that thing still is because you believe it to be true about who you are. But the second the Holy Spirit begins to transform your mind and reshape your mind and bring it under the order of the authority of the cross... There's something that lines up, something that's powerful and it's transformational. You've been in that place where you struggle with something. You know what I'm talking about. And some of you, look, I know not everybody here is there, but I don't want you to deny or think that the Holy Spirit does not have power to, to break every stronghold. He does. He does. And he does it quick. And he does it effectively. And he does it immediately. And it's not something you got to tangle with anymore. And that may be the first step to your freedom. Is that before, because you've been judging it based on what you're doing when you walk out the door. But if you begin to say, listen, what happened in me is final. It's done. And now all i got to do is just have my mind lined up under that place. For the truth of what the Holy Spirit has done. The last thing is this. Is that we have to have sustained accountability. Oh, church, this is where it gets a little tough. It's because for some of us, the key to our freedom and keeping our minds in check is bringing somebody alongside of us and saying, hey, I'm struggling with this. I know Jesus set me free. I know the Holy Spirit's work is final. I've had some dear, dear, dear friends. Man, get free from pornography because they submitted themselves to some software. I'm real talk here. Real talk. May not be any of you here. That's fine. Maybe one person here. They said, Pastor, I got an issue. I got something. And I said, hey, how about this? You put this on your computer and it's going to send me a reporter, whoever you want. You don't have to be me. I don't, I don't rather not be me, but you know, hey. It's going to send somebody a report to see what you've been watching. Anytime you look at something online, it ain't where you're supposed to be. They're going to see a report of that. And through prayer, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and through accountability, freedom came. See, God set, set us in the body for a reason. He set us in the body for a reason. And, and here's the thing. Freedom Christian Fellowship Freedom, Christian fellowship. Freedom, Christian fellowship. We, we, we exist to see those who are bound set free. 
is that sometimes the key to our freedom comes when we say we're going to submit to somebody. We're going to submit this area to somebody else that can hold us in check, that can hold us. And let me give you a key to that. Don't just whimsy, whimsy, go do that. Ask the Lord. Don't not do it. Just being very practical here. But don't not do it. Don't not do it because you're afraid of what people might think. But you find that one person who you can say, you know what? I'm entrusting you because I know you love me, because I know you see God's best for me, because I know you want to see me walk in freedom, and I'm entrusting you with this. Would you pray? Would you come beside me? Would you call me? Would you check me on it? If you see something going south, will you say, hey, wait a minute, that's not who you are. You're not bound to that anymore. Will you, will you call me? Will you, will you text me? Will you, will you stay in prayer? Will you keep it up? And don't stop and don't stop. Because here is what happens in the pattern of freedom. See, this is the blessing of the, of the pattern of freedom. Is that when you get free and you begin to break the back of something that the enemy tried to lie you into believing about yourself. And it gets decimated and destroyed in you. What happens is this. Is that you begin to carry that freedom to somebody else. And this is how freedom grows. You know how that old dumb serpent, the devil, got Eve to believe. He isolated her. He said, hey, hey, girl, come here. Come here. <laughs> come on, laugh a little bit. You see that? That was good. That's a nice piece of fruit. Go ahead and take a bite of that. She probably looked around for Adam. He was like, Adam ain't here. This is your decision your choice. Adam's not greater than you. Hey, hey, hold on just a second. That's true. Adam wasn't greater than Eve. Eve was his partner side by side. But what happened is the enemy recognized somebody who was isolated and picked her him and when we don't put ourselves in accountability in the fellowship of what God has created, what happens is not only do we not break the, the, the patterns that can bind us, but we don't begin to grow in the fullness of what God's called us to. See, because this accountability is not just to keep us out of sin. Accountability is to call us into the great things in our life. And here's what I want to tell you is that don't find somebody to be accountable to that isn't willing not just to check you, not just to call you on the carpet when you're messing up, but is not, is not going to call you into the great things that God has spoken about you. You got to find somebody that says, I know who you are. I don't care what you're dealing with today. I know who you are, and I'll check you if I have to, but I love you to call you to where God's called you to be. Amen? Amen. All right, you guys have been great. Thank you so much. All right, let's go ahead and stand to our feet. This morning, listen, there's great freedom here. There's great freedom here. Carl and Marilyn, come on up. Hey, Ronnie and Pam, y'all come up and pray, please. Here's what I want to do. Is that at this moment, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give an invitation. And this invitation is just going to be very 
real because this is a real thing. This is, a, this, is, this is something that needs to be dealt with. And if you're in a place where you need freedom for any reason, for any kind, for anything, we got some announcements at the end about some stuff we're doing. But if we got ministry going up here, we ain't going to do them. I don't, I don't care about announcements. I don't. Go on our website or our Facebook. We'll tell you all about it, all right? But what I care about is freedom. What I've been asking the Holy Spirit, and I know the Holy Spirit wants to do, and the Holy Spirit wants to do it powerfully, is to set some folks free. And it's going to take boldness. And if that's you, when I close this service out, I want you to come up, and I want you to receive ministry. I want you to come up, and I want you to see freedom hit your life in a very powerful way. And I will promise you this, that the Holy Spirit will touch your life, and he will set you free this morning. I'm I'm promising you, he will set you free this morning. Some of you need to break an active agreement that you have with the lie. Not everybody here. If it's not you, go in the grace and the peace of Jesus Christ. Be blessed today. Walk in great freedom. But if it's you, don't hesitate. I don't care if we got to make a line up here. I'll stay up here. I'll pray. We'll bring more people up here to pray. But we're going to pray. And we're going to see the Holy Spirit break every stronghold and break every yoke that exists in this house anybody who is willing and wants it. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you came and that you sent your son Jesus and that he is a reflection of life and he is a reflection of grace and he is freedom. And that whoever would come to the son would know freedom and that it would indeed be free. So Holy Spirit, across this room, begin to speak and begin to move on hearts and minds. Begin to break every lie that says freedom cannot exist in anybody's life, begin to set free by the power of your spirit, begin to set free, begin to break every chain, every yoke, every stronghold, every curse, every lie. Holy Spirit, right now, in the name of Jesus, I'm going to say two simple things as we close in prayer right here. If that's you, I want you to come up right now. If that's you, I want you to come up right now. If that's you, I want you to come up right now. And as we close this service, as we close this service, if you need to leave, please feel free to leave. We love you guys very much. So, Father, you do it now by your spirit. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer, come up now. Come up now. If not, we love you. You are dismissed. 